Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers. And do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Welcome to the WordPress Community Podcast. The essential source for news and information on the most popular blog publishing tool on earth. Learn about the newest updates and plugins, as well as exclusive interviews with WordPress experts that are sure to help you enhance your skill set. Now, please welcome the hosts of the WordPress Community Podcast. Yost Ivok and Frederick Towns. Hey everyone, and we're back again. And yet again, this week we have no news, but we have a, all the more interesting guests, so it should be all good. Uh, as I'm as always joined by my co-host Frederick. Hi, Fred. Hey, everybody. And for those of you who've missed it, even though Webmaster Radio has been announcing it like crazy, we've got a guest on from Google. We welcome Matt Cutts. Hey, Matt. See you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's, it's absolutely our pleasure. Um, for the very few people out there who don't know who you are, could you please introduce yourself to uh, the crowd? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a software engineer at Google. Um, I'm the head of the web spam team, which is part of search quality. So if you ever type in your name and you get off-topic porn, that's our fault and something that we try to fix um, by using both, al- both algorithms. And you know, if there's something that we can't catch with an algorithm, we're willing to take action on spam manually. Um, but as part of that, I ended up just ending up talking to webmasters quite a bit. So it's you know it's a lot of fun, and I'm a WordPress blogger myself. I have been since 2005, so I'm a big fan of WordPress. Yeah, very cool. You actually do not use the the Google-owned uh, Blogspot stuff, but you're on a proper self-hosted WordPress, right? <laughs> I am. Yeah, uh, I'm on Tiger Tech. And uh, I, I looked around, you know, and TypePad and WordPress, there's a lot of great choices. Even the newer stuff like Tumblr is pretty cool. Uh, but at the time, WordPress just seemed like the best choice. And it's got a lot of flexibility. The fact that you can get in there and tweak the PHP code is really cool. So, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed WordPress. Cool. It's good to hear that, and it's a good reason to have you on the show. So I, I lied a bit in the beginning because there's one bit of news that seems to have got the entire WordPress community aroused, uh, which is an interview that um, uh, Matt Mullenweg and Chris Pearson did together in which they talked too much about the GPL and, and all those things. Um, Chris Pearson being the author of Thesis, which is actually the theme you run, Matt, isn't it? It is. I do use Thesis, yes. Um, well, there's an awful lot of rambling about it. Um, Frederick and I talked a bit about it, and we actually don't want to talk about it too much because it's, well, as we said, a rat hole. Um, <laughs> but do you have an opinion on it, Matt, or don't you care too much? 
Well, I, I think it is important to pay attention to this stuff. And it, let me just say, this is strictly my personal take, not any official Google opinion. This is just me as a, <laughs> as a single user of WordPress and someone who's tried Thesis as well. Um, I, I think you have two really great people involved in this. Matt Mullenweg is fantastic. Everybody admires all the work that he and Automatic have done to make WordPress so cool. Um, and on the other hand, you have Chris Pearson, who is a... Uh, uh, a guy that's created a really cool theme. Uh, you know, it does things like uh, whenever you make text size larger or smaller, the flow works really well, uh, really flexible, all that sort of stuff. And mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, people need to be able to build commercial things on top of free software. So you need to be able to sell programs that run on Linux and things like that. Themes are kind of unusual in that they're, they're, they can kind of hook into the software. And whether it's running completely independently on top of versus whether it's really extending the functionality is kind of where the the key, uh, you know, part of it uh, hinges. And uh, it's also interesting that there were at least a few people who said, oh, well, there's some, some functionality or some actual code snippets that were copied out of WordPress. So it is a tough subject. You know, normally if, if somebody wants to make software available under a license, you know, you, you want to sort of respect that to the degree that you can. So Matt's made his his take pretty clear. Um, I picked Thesis a while ago, about a year or so, more, maybe more, just because it had some really good features and some nice flexibility. Uh, but WordPress has continued to get better. 3.0 is really solid. And uh, and so I, I don't mind saying that I'm thinking about going back to just a generic sort of theme on top of, uh, you know, vanilla WordPress. So Thesis is fantastic. I, I enjoy it. Uh, it's got a lot of power and a lot of flexibility. Um, for me personally, I'm actually starting to lean towards going back to just straight WordPress, though. Uh, I, you know, I'm not an educated guy as, as far as the, the ins and outs of all the really in-detail sort of stuff, so I can't claim to offer any expert opinion. Uh, it is always um, sad to see two people that you really respect a lot sort of disagreeing in a, in a really uh, uh, earnest way. So I hope that there's some way to work it out, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I definitely hope so too. I think that's uh, the best thing that could happen for the community. Uh, at least if we stopped fighting amongst ourselves, that would be uh, pretty good. There are plenty of other people who want to fight. Like, uh, was it Tumblr who was, you know, talking about, oh, port your WordPress stuff, you know. So there, there's plenty of other people who, outside of the <laughs> yeah, community, the who already... People will take advantage of this. Yeah. Um, but it, it going straight in, you, you said, well, WordPress 3.0 is, is very stable and, and mature. Uh, what's the kind of new stuff that you've seen in WordPress in the last year that has made you as a user uh, very happy? You know, it was kind of funny. I was looking at the themes, or the sorry, the plugins that I had installed on my blog, and a couple of them I don't really need anymore. So, you know, for example, I had one that would always enforce my, my preference on www versus non-www. And uh, I was talking to Matt Mullenweg, and I was like, oh, yeah, I use this. And um, and he sort of said, oh, you know, you, you don't need that anymore. That's built into the default version. And the fact that WordPress can now automatically for you say, oh, do you want to be www.matcuts.com or just plain old matcuts.com, you set the preference, and it will make sure that it redirects. It's just another nice little thing that your average WordPress or blogger guy doesn't or, or woman doesn't want to have to worry about, you know, the SEO aspect of it that much. And so if you can just make a choice and then WordPress takes care of it behind the scenes, that's fantastic. So, you know, it's really nice to see all that sort of functionality kind of getting built into WordPress. New versions of Akismet continue to roll out, you know, all sorts of functionality like that. Yeah. Uh, talking about Canonical, uh, the last release, or I think it was 2.9 actually, introduced uh, the rel Canonical into uh, into WordPress core as well. Mm -hmm. uh, is, that kind of, is that stuff you, you work on with WordPress, or is that stuff they do themselves that you, and you don't have any uh, well, talks about? <laughs> no, it's... Um I'm always happy to talk to people about Rel Canonical because it's really pretty simple. It's like a 301 redirect. You basically put it on a page and you say, this page and that page are essentially the same thing, so which one do you want to be returned as the preferred version in Google? So we try to make Canonical simple enough such that people don't really have to talk to us. But, you know, I'm, of course, I'm happy to talk to any large, you know, it, it's the scalable approach, right? You know, oh, you don't even need to talk to Google. You can use Webmaster Tools or whatever. Um, but I'm happy to talk to Matt or the guys from, you know, TypePad or Twitter or whatever, you know, or, or any other 
software manufacturer when we meet them at a conference or online just to sort of give advice about how do you migrate your site, you know, what are the good site architectures, that sort of stuff. Uh, so, uh, sorry, Frederick, you were saying something? No, I, I wasn't. I'm sorry. I guess I had a bad connection for a moment there. Yeah. Um, um, so the, the uh, introduction of these things actually changes a lot, I, can, I guess, because if you're looking at from it from a Google perspective, if WordPress rolls out canonical, then, then at some point in time, suddenly an enormous amount of sites get all these real canonical uh, uh, things at it. Or is, it, is WordPress not significantly large enough to actually make you notice that? It is large enough to notice because I would say WordPress is one of the most popular, if not the most po well, Blogger is very uh, well used by a lot of different people, but it's, it's, I mean, WordPress is hugely popular, right? Everybody knows that. And so we want to be able to crawl WordPress blogs and serve them well in Google, just like we'd serve, uh, you know, a good piece of forum software. Um, so we, we try to make sure that we handle that stuff well, but if the stock, um, first install of WordPress can handle that automatically, that's perfect. That's so much the better because then your average guy doesn't have to worry about it or, you know, your average whoever is deciding to blog. And yet all the search engines can take advantage of that information if they want to. Absolutely true. So do you uh, do special things for uh, stuff like plain vanilla WordPress in Google or is it just part of like everything else? We've talked about whether there are what you can do is you can look at site colon queries and you can say, do we have duplicate content issues with particular pieces of software? So typically what we do is we say, how well do we crawl this blog? Do we have a little, uh, or, you know, this type of blog? Do we have a lot of duplicate content? Um, do we have, like, session IDs that we need to learn? So a lot of the times you can write um, heuristics or improve the algorithms to say, oh, this is the type of session ID parameter that this piece of forum software uses, um, and our algorithms don't handle it correctly right now, so update the algorithm such that uh, we don't have a copy of our privacy, you know, a privacy policy 3,000 times or something like that. And, um, and that can usually help quite a bit. So, you know, if you find common pieces of software that, uh, you know, use commas instead of underscores or things like that. You can try to make sure that the algorithms handle that correctly. So you do special cases for several pieces of software, I guess. Well, that's not quite how I'd put it. I would put it as we try to make sure that the algorithms can handle all the typical cases. It's not like we typically say, oh, the software is WordPress, therefore do this differently. Um, we have, for example, things called rewrite rules. So if we crawl a really deep, detailed URL, we might have a rewrite rule that could say, oh, there's a simpler version of this URL that's going to be more helpful to users. It'll be the exact same content. So we try to make sure that the algorithms can handle that sort of stuff, and we improve it when we see it not working on common pieces of software. But we, we typically try to take the philosophy that we don't want to hand code a lot of things. We don't want to have a lot of exceptions. That's not scalable. People, you know, pieces of software can change how they do the code. So it's really a lot better to try to improve the general system rather than have any sort of special, uh, you know, if-then rules or anything like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I briefly wanted to mention that we've got a chat room open on irc.webmasterradio.fm where you can uh, hop into uh, the Webmaster Radio channel or you can go to chat on webmasterradio.fm to uh, ask us questions if you've got any questions uh, that you want to ask to Matt and that, that I think are smart enough to, to put through to him. Um, but I'll give you some time to get there as well because we have to roll some ads anyway to pay the bills and then we come right back and talk to Matt loads more about all this stuff. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more WordPress Community Podcast after this. Looking for an affiliate network that can package every solution an advertiser or publisher needs in one account? Your one-stop source for full-service solutions is AdMedia.com. AdMedia delivers an incredible lineup of specialized XML feeds for local, social, and search, plus the advertising arsenal of PPC, SEM, contextual, display, and more. AdMedia gives your campaign real visibility, from emailers to domain redirects. 
AdMedia tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a real advantage. AdMedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything AdMedia can do for you today. Sign up at AdMedia.com. AdMedia, strong ROI made simple. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic tools give you the ingredients to create high-converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. Visit ConversionCritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.ConversionCritic.com. LPO, Landing Page Optimization, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. The WordPress Community Podcast continues, only on webmasterradio.fm. Once again, here's Yost Ivok and Frederick Towns. So Matt, there's uh, there's an endless number of tips that we could give the listeners today, and I think the majority of our listeners are actually, uh, you know, the DIYs with small, medium-sized websites. Maybe they're getting started. Maybe they have a large website. So one of the things that I that I see quite often is people are reading, you know, your blog, lots of other blogs online, and they kind of they still don't have their bearings. Maybe after six months, even a year. Mm-hmm. How do you do? You have like a, a, a one-two punch kind of orientation um, tip that you can give people to help get their bearings, you know, is it get set up with uh, webmaster tools, get acclimated to it, you know, spend some time, you know, at the the Google Analytics blog, understand Mm -hmm. how to to use Google Analytics better. Are there just some quick tips to make sure that people have their foundation under them before they start trying to maybe bug you or chase you around (laughs) on your blog, for example? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. The The biggest problem that I hear is often people who are just afraid to start. And, uh, you know, Jeremy Shoemaker once said that the people who actually do things are always ahead of the people who talk about doing things. And so just starting is the biggest antidote to all of this because a lot of the times I had a, a friend who wanted to start a, a site about legal advice, and I had another friend who wanted to start a site about robots. And I talked to them, you know, one year, and then I came back the next year. I saw them at another holiday, and I said, so what's new? And they said, well, you know, I'm thinking about my web host. I've almost got my web host selected. <laughs> and and the fact is, sometimes you just got to do it, you know. Register a throwaway domain name, you know, 8 bucks, 10 bucks, 5 bucks, whatever it is. Find a cheapo web host. Virtual host is totally fine. And just get out there and start doing it, you know. Throw some, throw some WordPress up there. Start a blog. Start trying to do some original research. And don't, don't feel like, oh, I can never, you know, uh, make any mistakes. Because if you don't make some mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. So, yes, sign up for, for the Google Webmaster Tools and prove that you own the blog. And, yeah, sign up for Google Analytics and uh, get the code and add it to the bottom of the page. But uh, mainly just practice a little bit, you know. It, it, there's so many people who talk about doing stuff when if they just spent a month really diving in, uh, they would be so much more knowledgeable at the end of that month. And so even if you tell yourself, okay, I'm just going to spend an hour a day, and, you know, my assignment for the first hour is I'm just going to find a web host, I'm just going to sign up, and I might not, you know, maybe this won't be my real domain. Maybe this is just to get a feel for it. But by the end of that month, you'll be in much better shape. You write an article a day, you try to figure out how to promote it, you know, you try to tweet about it, you try to do all this stuff. And uh, you'll be amazed at how quickly a lot of that stuff gets picked up. Now, the, the second thing that I hear is, okay, well, I'm in a somewhat boring space. You know, I'm a plumber or I'm a real estate agent or whatever. What can I do that's new? And uh, the question that I'd ask yourself is, what do you know that no one else knows? 
What can you write that will make them say, oh, that's weird, I didn't know that. Um, you know, something that surprises them or some original research. Because honestly, there's so much stuff out there where people are just writing without any real insight or without anything to say. And if you have a strong point of view or a strong opinion or something that you're really smart about that no one else knows about, that's where you should really focus and just dive right in and see if you can, you know, educate people about that a little bit. Try to be interesting. Try to throw at least one joke in per post. <laughs> Try to throw at least one picture or, or drawing in per post. And what you'll find is you're already ahead of like 80% of people who just sort of don't blog that often or, or don't try to be that interesting or they just rehash whatever news they see on, you know, USA Today or on TechMeme or whatever. And if you start doing that stuff, if you start in that way, people will eventually start to find you, especially if you spend a little bit of time on Twitter or Facebook or, or Buzz or wherever sort of networking and letting people know about your good stuff and, you know, giving pats on the back to the people who you find are doing good stuff as well. So it sounds like don't be afraid to fail. Create uh, engaging and original content and connect with other people. Yeah, absolutely. The mechanics, you can always improve the mechanics, but that, that tends to be a second order effect compared to really getting out there and starting to build a name for yourself. All right. So I think... I think especially with regard to original content, I think that's a challenge for lots of, I'll just say publishers because that's the correct jargon, but uh, mm -hmm. I think there's a disconnect that, that exists where people think that, oh, I can just repost this or I can just, you know, mostly, <laughs> you know, borrow copious amounts of this content and so on and so forth. And granted, Google's quite forgiving. I think, you know, the original content piece and content discovery is kind of a challenge for publishers. Like, any tips, like, specifically or any things that you noticed over the years that are helpful for people to generate original content? Sure. Um, you know, if you look at what people are already looking at on your site or on TechMeme, you can get a sense for the stuff that people care about. For example, if I go to Google Analytics, I can see the top articles that are getting the most traffic um, on my blog. So on my WordPress blog, my two most popular topics are how to hack your iPhone and a post called Three Gmail Productivity Tips. So what do I take away from that? Well, people love lists. People love to read seven ways that, uh, you know, the West Coast is better than the East Coast or, you know, three ways that the Netherlands are much better than any other country in Europe or whatever. People love Yay. to read that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I got to put my, my props out to Yoast. <laughs> We're getting all the way to the finals in the World Cup. You know, the USA didn't get quite that far. Uh, that stupid octopus, man, you know. <laughs> Um, uh, that's not good, Eric. If it hadn't been for again. Paul the Octopus, I think, you know, who knows how it could have gone. But, uh, but so people love the numbers. They love the list, that sort of stuff. But look at your analytics and see what people are already interested in, and that can inform what other stuff you should write about. If it's not something that's interesting to you, you're going to have a really hard time making it interesting to other people. So if you're forcing yourself to write, that's not as good. Like, I, you know... I like to write about Gmail productivity tips, but I could get a ton more traffic if I did that, but that's not the only thing I'm going to write about because that's not the only thing that interests me. Um, and, you know, I know that I could get more traffic if I wanted to only talk about, uh, you know, Android apps or how to hack your iPhone. But that's, you know, one fun subject, but not the only fun subject to talk about. Um, so those are just a few things to think about when you're looking at the original research. Really, I, I would ask yourself, what do you, what can you figure out or what can you discern or what can you do research on that, that people would not expect? Something that's counterintuitive, like, you know, Danny Sullivan, I, I love this example, he just looked at uh, which webmail provider did the best with email spam. All he did was count for a month who did the best on email spam, and luckily it was Gmail, but, you know, just by producing that blog post, people were like, aha, we always kind of believed it, but we never had proof. And just simple stuff like that, you know, if you're a realtor, what are the weirdest people you've come across, you know, what are the most unusual requests that you've seen? If there's a story that you're telling at a bar or to your friends, your family, like, you'll never believe what happened to me today, that's a great blog post right there. And so that's actually the key, right, because there's that passion there and it's going to have, it usually generate a, a visceral connection with the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Once you've mastered the art of captivating the, the reader and you understand how to make sure you're aware of 
you know, what they're interested in, whether that's looking at, you know, the searches they do on your site or looking at Google Analytics. And by the way, that's a Yoast tip. Um, but anyway, um, once you're, you figured that out, Matt, don't, uh, don't you need to focus a little bit more on mechanics and make sure your site structure is the way it needs to be and, you know, God forbid you do some uh, page rank sculpting and things like that over time? Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Sure. Well, that's the nice thing about using WordPress since we're on a WordPress podcast is that it really takes care of most of that for you. You know, WordPress, the URL structure that they use is, is uh, you know, maybe not completely optimal, but pretty close. Like 80 to 90% of the mechanical stuff you need to worry about, WordPress can take care of for you. Uh, the sort of stuff that you want to also think about is I like to have my keywords in the URL. Uh, so if your default post is like post equals or P equals one, two, three, that's not that great. You really want to think about and have the ability to change your URL so that it's, you know, the keywords that you're thinking about. Um, there's some mechanic stuff where, um, for example, here's a concrete one. I just did a blog post yesterday called How to Find Startup Ideas. Um, and I just intended to call it How to Find Startup Ideas because that's what I was thinking about. I was, you know, that's the blog post I had in me that I wanted to get out. When I got done and I was about to hit publish, I went to Google, I typed in keyword tool, I clicked onto the AdWords keyword tool, which is a free tool, I solved the captcha, and I typed in how to find startup ideas, uh, business ideas, you know, a few word, a few phrases like that, and uh, hit submit, and it told me that, you know, people actually type the query business ideas more than startup ideas, like by a factor of 10 or 20. So I changed my URL to be business ideas. My, the title of my post is still How to Find Startup Ideas, but there's just a little bit of this mechanical stuff where you think about, okay, what are the related words that people are going to use when they want to find the information that you've written? You know, if a million people a month are typing business ideas, don't neglect that. You don't have to spam for it. You don't have to, like, keyword stuff. You don't have to put that 10 times repeated throughout the post. But you can say, you know, well, business ideas is, is maybe in the URL, and how to find startup ideas is in the title, and then maybe startup with one word versus two words. You know, you can put one somewhere sprinkled throughout the post. And then the final thing that I would do is uh, read it aloud because you want it to be conversational. If it reads like an encyclopedia, kind of boring and dry and stilted and stiff, people are going to stop after a paragraph or two. If it sounds conversational, like you talking to a friend and it's really easy to read, people are going to make it a lot further. You don't have to have quite as many jokes to pull them along. It's not as much of a, of a struggle. So do think about some of the mechanical stuff. Um, get the site architecture right. WordPress helps with most of that, but make sure that the, the the URL includes keywords. Think about the keywords people are going to type and try to in, in sort of get the habit of incorporating those keywords in a natural way and then read the post aloud so that if it sounds a little too spammy or artificial or you keep using, you know, generic Viagra or whatever it is you're trying to rank for, if you, if you keep repeating that over and over and it sounds really artificial, then back it off a little bit and try to make it sound conversational and real. And if you do that stuff, you'll usually be in pretty good shape, or at least you'll be ahead of the vast majority of other bloggers out there. So, Matt, do you feel like there's any uh, plugins or or WordPress-related tools that you've seen that might be helpful? I know that you know this has come naturally to you over the years, and obviously you have a <laughs> an inside look at these things. But you know, <laughs> for interacting with other WordPress users, did you find that they used some tools that you found to be uh, worth mentioning? Um. So as far as WordPress plugins, there's not that much. I used to use the all-in-one SEO sort of thing, but WordPress has continued to get better and better and better to the point where I don't I don't actually install it myself anymore because just stock WordPress is pretty good. The list of plugins I use is pretty short, like a Kismet, cookies for comments, one for feed burner, one to offer polls. I've got a caching plugin, uh, but. Other tools you can consider using, of course, Webmaster Tools. Google Analytics is a great way to get insight from your server logs. Um, there's a few tools like you can install widgets so that you can translate your blog into other languages. So Google Translate has one of those. And then you can define a Google custom search engine to search over. So there's a few of those kinds of things. But, um, you know, if, you, if you're doing a commercial blogging stuff, you can, look at, you can use stock photography sites to find stuff that you can use as far as images for each post. Um, those are the biggies, you know. 
it, it, it certainly doesn't hurt to read about blogging and, and you know try to find a bunch of different tools to use. But I don't tend to use a ton of uh, plugins and a ton of extra. You know, okay, I'm going to pay for this research or I'm going to pay for this particular SEO tool or anything like that. Uh, for the most part. You know, I'm just thinking about what do I want to write and what are people going to be interested in, and I kind of move in that direction and not don't use a ton of extra tools along the way. Okay, that's that's and pretty cool. To to <laughs> be honest, the, the fact that you say that uh, you don't need a, an SEO plugin like All in One SEO, what has changed in WordPress that you think that that's no longer needed? You know, they're just doing better stuff like the Rel Canonical, um, things like the you know it'll enforce your preferences. Uh, you know, it's just a, if you tweak your WordPress, it's a little easier to set your titles and all that sort of stuff. Uh, or whenever you're tweaking your uh, um, URLs, it's that functionality is just built in more. So, you know, it doesn't hurt to install all-in-one SEO tool, but if you're spending, you know, a lot of time tweaking that, you're probably at some point reaching diminishing returns. So I tend to... You know, I used to install it, and then at some point I switched to a different word web host, and I just I just never bothered to install it after that. Uh, it's not harmful, you know, if if it if you enjoy doing it or you enjoy the extra options or you really enjoy tweaking every aspect of your blog, by all means go for it. Uh, but for me, I haven't I haven't really bothered because WordPress is pretty good as just a stock install. Cool. Now, now let me. Um, I've got an everlasting gripe with all-in-one SEO uh, <laughs> that I uh, I want to put in front of you. Uh, all-in-one SEO by default auto-generates meta descriptions, mm-hmm. uh, and by taking the first couple of sentences from your post and making that a meta description. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, if you're doing that, then you'd be better off having Google make your meta description for you. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you agree, or do you think that's a smart practice? I would mostly agree in the sense that, think about it from Google's perspective. Our algorithm can get, um, can pick about three different places where you can get the snippet source. Number one, the meta description. Number two, we can take uh, individual snippets from within the page. Or number three, if we're not really able to crawl your blog at all, we can take it from DMOZ if we find a description matching via DMOS, the Open Directory Project. So if your meta tags are always the same, always the same, completely uniform, we're probably going to say to ourselves, well, maybe you didn't put that much work into those meta tags. Maybe you picked them once. Maybe it's appropriate for your root page. But that's probably not the best matching snippet for every single one of your pages. So... You know, I'm just. I'm not saying this is always how it works. I'm not saying this is how it works even most of the time. But if you always have the same meta tag, then usually you haven't put a lot of work into it. Okay. So in that case, you might be more likely to draw a snippet from the page using Google's algorithms. And we're pretty good at finding the things that include the words these are typed, so that you get pretty good click through. Now, what the all-in-one SEO is going to do is it's going to make a different, unique meta description for each one of your pages. In which case we're more likely to think you actually put some care into it. Now, if you are mindful enough to write those first two sentences really well so that they make a good snippet and they get clicked on, that's great because then people will see it, they'll be enticed, they say, oh, this looks like the information I want, and so they'll click on it. But if you're like a lot of bloggers, a lot of bloggers take an entire paragraph to get wound up and really started. You know, they're like, well, uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I think about, you know, Comic-Con, I think about a conference down in San Diego in July. You know, like a lot of the first one or two sentences of blog posts are not that punchy. So if you're writing with the mindset that, hey, these first couple sentences are going to be showing up in my meta description, and therefore I need to make sure that they're very clickable, they look good to users, they describe what the content's about, they say, yes, you're going to get the information you want if you click here, then that can be a great tactic. But for a lot of people who are unaware, they're probably going to end up with meta descriptions that look a little lamer because they're just the first sentence that might not really get to the point yet. So it, it sort of depends on whether you're that sort of concise, punchy, you know, terse, smart blogger who's aware of that. If you're not, then that could be harmful because you end up with a couple of really random sentences. Um, they're unique, so we think that, okay, this is a pretty good description, but then users look at those two sentences and they're like, well, oh, that looks kind of lame, never mind. So there are some trade-offs, but in general, I don't, I don't bother to put meta descriptions 
on each of my individual posts. I figure Google's going to pick a pretty good set of uh, phrases from my blog and just highlight that in the snippet. Yeah, could you briefly describe for people what would happen? Yeah, I mean, essentially we try to look for parts of the page that match well. So, you know, if, if my query is changing the default printer in Firefox on Linux, and I've got a really long blog post that matches that, then Google's going to go through and we're going to try to say, okay, where on the page is there like 10 words where we can find as many of the words that the user typed as possible? Because the snippets are called keywords in, keyword in context. So we want to show you the keywords that you typed in context on the page to show you whether it's a good match or not. And then we'll show these little ellipses to say, oh, well, here's, you know, 10 words from the top part of the page, and then the ellipses mean we had to skip down to lower on the page. So if I see those ellipses, I, as a power user, kind of know, oh, well, this is sort of a mismatch of different places on the page rather than it's all one phrase altogether really close by. So sometimes you get, like, uh, a page that's, like, 10 different blog posts, and you've got one about changing the default Firefox printer, and you've got one post about Linux down at the bottom, and that's not really a great result. So whenever you're writing stuff, you want to make stuff such that, okay, what's the phrase that you want to show up for? You want to make sure that you have that phrase with some, some useful text around it so that if we pick that as the snippet, it will look pretty good. So the snippet algorithm tries to say, okay, where is the text on the page? Is it useful? Is it in a uh, pretty good relationship with the other words that the user typed? And if there's not one snippet that really captures that, then we might take two or possibly three parts of the page and show that in the snippet. Cool. Um, so, so are there any other myths that you hear a lot about SEO related to blogging that uh, we can dispel here and now forever? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, there's so many myths, it's hard to pick. Uh, if if you run AdSense, your, your rankings do not automa automatically jump higher. Um, if you buy AdWords, your ranking does not automatically jump higher. You don't get any benefit from running AdSense or buying AdWords. Um, there's no, like, super-duper someone that has... Our domains from 2004 computed using a different version of PageRank. <laughs> and I was like, dude, there's enough conspiracy theories in the world without creating new ones. No, there's no, like, difference between those domains. You don't get, a like, a pre-2004 PageRank if you have a really old domain or anything like that. Um... What are some other myths? What about meta keywords? Isn't that a bit of a... Uh... Yes. That's a great one. We do not use meta keywords. So I don't. I made the personal choice not to bother with meta descriptions. Um, if other people want to, that's cool. And in fact, it can be a good idea to do on your very high ROI pages, like your root page, you know, your five best-selling products or your five best, uh, most interesting posts. That, those can make sense to do meta descriptions. But doing meta keywords, these keywords meta tag, that is a complete waste of your time, at least in Google, because we completely ignore them. We made a video to say that. Because you all the time you see these guys like one company sues another company because Alice uses Bob's name and her meta tags in the keywords meta tags. And it, it literally affects Google's ranking zero. So we wanted to just tell people that so they could avoid wasting their time and that people wouldn't feel like they had to sue everybody else if someone else used their name and their meta keywords tag. Because it's just like there's, there's more important things to do with your life. Don't waste your time doing that sort of stuff. <laughs> and the and meta description. Go ahead, Yost. Uh, does the meta description actually uh, have an effect on your ranking or just on, the, on how your page shows up in the rankings? That's a good question. As I recall, I, w I would have to go back and look at the algorithm on that one. Typically, the meta description and all the snippet-based stuff, it doesn't change your ranking. So you could have a really good snippet, a better snippet than someone else, but it, what we would typically do is we'll compute your ranking. So we're going to say, okay, you deserve to rank at number seven or, or you know, Frederick deserves to rank at number three or whatever. And then we say, okay, you are going to show up in the top ten. So here's the URL. Here are the keywords the user typed. Now we hand that off to a completely different system that says, okay, compute the best snippets you can. Find the best snippet on the page, compare that to the meta description, decide which one of those is better. If it's not crawled, then maybe take the 
description from DMOS. So that stuff happens after the ranking is computed. Uh, I'm not 100% sure whether the description is used as a signal in the ranking itself, but it would be definitely one of the minor ones because it's stuff that is not normally that visible to users. So typically it's going to be the off-page stuff, the quality of the incoming links, the anchor text, um, and then the on-page stuff. So the text that you've got, the title, the keywords, uh, the URL, all that sort of stuff. Okay, cool. So what about uh, this one? Unless you have another one, Yost. No, no, go right after it. <laughs> I was going to say, um, what about site structure and duplicate content? with respect to WordPress because you get a WordPress blog, WordPress.com or self-install or whatever <laughs> and the whole archive thing with you know forward slash 2010, 07, you know forward slash 07 blah 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 Matt, you know the story. Yep. And pe people freak out because they have you know the archive template of WordPress is all over the place and unless they you know maybe they're not savvy enough to, to do like teasers or something you know, they think, oh, no, I've got duplicate content. Google's going to, you know, come and burn down my house, and I'll never make any money online or whatever. <laughs> and what do you have to say about that, Matt? <laughs> so it's great because it's almost always the white hat people who are asking these kinds of questions about duplicate content. You know, WordPress is one of the most common software packages in the world. Uh, millions of people use it. And they all blog, and so the default way that WordPress does stuff, you know, if you have something showing up under the direct uh, post URL and under the maybe the category URL and maybe, uh, you know, as an archive URL, we'll see that and we'll try to handle that as best we can. And it can be tricky because you can have all the posts I did in December 2008, and so you can have that content appear twice. So technically that is duplicate content, but that's exactly the sort of stuff that we do a pretty good job of detecting, oh, this is the same stuff, but the guy's not intending, intending to spam, there's no malicious or real intent here, this is just the way that this you know particular piece of software works. Um, so there are some people who go to a lot of trouble and they try to you know shunt or sculpt the page rank around and they say, oh, I'm going to block off this type of page or that type of page. Um, usually I would say just don't worry about that. It, what really matters a lot more in your ranking is how good your content is and how well you can promote it, like tell people about it, how effectively you do that. Um, and then the, uh, you know, whether you have it on an archive page and all that other stuff tends to matter a lot less. Um, as long as people land on your page, they'll usually find your content. You want to make sure that every page can, can do what you want, whether it's you know, monetize or, you know, upsell to a subscription or, you know, whatever you're interested in. Don't neglect that opportunity on any page that people land on. Uh, but for the most part, we handle all those issues pretty well. And so what about this, uh, another common one uh, that, that actually I actually spent some time looking into uh, quite a bit over the years. Mm -hmm. What about the value of links generated through social media? And I know that's mm -hmm. um, a lot of different types of things. But is there a generality that you can kind of give? I mean, I'm not talking about comment, uh, com blog post comments. I'm talking about uh, links from Dig, links from uh, Delicious, Reddit, and so on and so forth all over the place. Yep. How valuable are those or not valuable? How does Google feel about those as in terms of organic links? Yeah, so we treat those links pretty much like any other links across the web. You know, people used to, way back when blogging started, they used to say, well, why don't you remove all blogs from Google because they're just noise? <laughs> and we're like, no, there's actually a lot of really good content on blogs. Uh, and then people would say, well, don't trust blogs' links because, you know, those bloggers, they don't know what they're talking about. You would, you would literally see that. People would get offended by all the blogs that were showing up in Google. And now I think people realize, no, there's a lot of great conversations that happen on blogs just like anywhere else on the web. So typically we don't have a, oh, this is a link from social media, so count it less filter or algorithm or anything like that. Now, individual sites might have a nofollow. So if Dig, for example, doesn't trust a link that got submitted from an IP address or something like that, that for some reason they don't trust that IP address or it's not a registered user, they might no-follow that link, and then we wouldn't flow PageRank or we wouldn't, uh, you know, flow anchor text through that. But if you, um, social media can be a great way to get links, right? Like, um, if you are a well-known person on Twitter, you can drive a lot of traffic 
the the uh, residue of traffic tends to be at least a few links because as people find out about this stuff, they'll link to it on their blog or they'll link to it on various places around the web. And that stuff, it drives not only users, it will eventually drive PageRank as well as long as that's not got a no-follow on it. So, for example, I did this post about how, you know, how to come up with ideas for a startup on Monday and some nice guy that uh, I didn't ask for did a tip to TechMeme and said, hey, TechMeme, put this on the page. And so TechMeme did. And so it was really cool. I, I went to go surf TechMeme, and I was like, woo I'm on the, I'm on TechMeme. So technically, that social media, that link, though, has has the result of someone, uh, Gabe Rivera and, and Megan, doing some, some checking behind it. So that's an editor link, and that's worth something because it will drive more people who read it and more people who will link to it and stuff like that. So uh, usually I like to think of writing the good t- content as the majority of the work, you know, at least 60% of the work, but letting people know about it is also really important, you know, whether you're just talking about it via Twitter or whatever. There are good times to tweet. You don't want to tweet at 11 p.m. Pacific time because nobody's awake. The sun is over the ocean, <laughs> you know, and so there's not as many people tweeting, uh, you know, like 9 a.m. whenever people are, are getting into work or right around noon when they're looking for something to do in their lunch line. These are great times to tweet. And being aware of those can drive a lot more traffic and links to your blog. So it's worth paying a little bit of attention to. Definitely. Definitely. Cool stuff. Okay, we need to take another break for a, a little ad and then come back and uh, have some final questions for Matt. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more WordPress Community Podcast after this. Hi, this is Joel Kamp. I want to take a moment to tell you about a revolutionary new theme for WordPress that's going to change the way you make websites. It's called the Socrates theme, and it is the number one WordPress product on ClickBank. You can see it in action right now at SocratesTheme.com. The Socrates theme has a ton of options for customizing your site, but what really makes it stand out is the ability to monetize your site instantly just by entering your ClickBank or AdSense IDs right inside the theme. That's right, there's no plugins needed. Go check it out now at SocratesTheme.com. What is this? Why is my website not ranking higher? Well, sounds like you could use a link building report from SEOFox.com. What's that? You can't rank without good backlinks. And SEOFox.com's link building report lets you enter domains and compare their backlinks. It gives a detailed report that shows you why each domain ranks where it does, and it reduces the time it takes to find more links. With SEOFox.com's link building report, you can find more links, use their search marketing services to find more links, or better yet, they could even build your own backlinks. So you think you're pretty sly with that SEOFox link building report. <laughs> sly like a fox. Get your link building report today at SEOFox.com. That's SEOFox.com. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic tools give you the ingredients to create high-converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. Visit ConversionCritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.ConversionCritic.com. From WebmasterRadio.fm, welcome to the Joel Com Show. Hanging out with the masters of marketing, the sultans of social, and the titans of traffic. New York Times best-selling author and serial entrepreneur, Joel Com will inspire, inform, and entertain you. Search, social, local, mobile, and everything Web 2.0. It's all here on the Joel Com Show. Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. The WordPress Community Podcast continues, only on webmasterradio.fm. Once again, here's Ghost Evoc and Frederick Towns. So, Matt. Ghost, you want to take the last question then, or this one? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll take it, but we both get the question an awful lot, I know, um, is that we, we get people emailing us, Matt, asking us, 
have I been banned or have I not been indexed yet or what's what's happening to my rankings I suddenly dropped like uh, everywhere mm-hmm. um, normally we tell people to go to Google Webmaster Tools and, and figure it out but if they've really been banned that's not really that helpful usually either um, so what, what is a good way to find out if, if something like that happened to you sure so the Google Webmaster Tools is a great first place to go because we do often leave messages like, hey, you've been hacked, so we had to remove you from the websites for a temporary amount of time. Failing that, I would go to the Webmaster Forum that we've got uh, that Google runs, and you know, great people like John Mueller and Jonathan Simon keep an eye on that, uh, Susan Moskwa. Um, and uh, you can also get fantastic super user and regular user support. So that's a really good way to say, you know, hey, here's, I need a second pair of eyes to look at my website. Um, in general, before you buy a domain, I would check to see whether it shows up in Google because uh, it's it's just like a little health check. You know, if you if some guy owns a domain that's been around for three years and uh, you're worried it might have been a little scuzzy in a previous life, just do a site colon query. And if you don't see any results at all in Google's index for them for that domain, and it's you know several year old domain, that can be a bad sign. Because sometimes when you're building a new, you know, uh, building or, or house or whatever you want to call it, you don't want to start in a hole. You want to start on level ground. So if you're buying a domain that's already someone has used and, and used to spam and Google has caught, and then you have to clean up the mess afterwards, that's a big hassle. Now, um, if you're not buying a domain, if you're just looking for your own self, um, if you've been removed completely, then you'll see, oh, I don't show up within Google at all. So that can be a real issue. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you've been banned. Uh, you might, for example, make sure your website's been up 100% of the time. Uh, you can use the Fetch as Googlebot feature to make sure that Google is seeing what you expect it to see. Sometimes people will try to cloak and they'll make a mistake and shoot themselves in the foot and return an empty page to us or something like that. So, you know, Fetch as Googlebot in Webmaster Tools will let you see what Google sees. Um, Usually, if you disappear completely, you you often will have a relatively good idea of what happened. Either you were hacked or you had some hidden text or you were trying to do some keyword stuffing or some gibberish, stuff like that. If your site has just sort of dropped a lot in ranking, um, asking a friend to take a look at it can be really helpful because, you know, typically it's something where we want to say this is a site that adds value for our users. And so a big litmus test is what is the value add? And if you're just taking, for example, an affiliate feed and slapping it up there, if you don't have any unique content, if it's all a bunch of duplicate stuff, then, yeah, that might not rank as highly. So you want to ask yourself, what is my value add? What's compelling about my site? Am I taking a bunch of data from other people and just sort of recycling it and trying to find some creative way to make it look new? Or am I actually writing you know, new original content and stuff like that? Um, also, try not to make sure if you are, you know, I wouldn't mix in your original stuff with anything that could be viewed as duplicate in terms of auto-generated stuff. Because if you've got 500,000 pages of of auto-generated stuff, like search results or whatever, and only like 100 pages of original content, then that can sometimes tip the balance towards us thinking, well, we couldn't find any original content. And uh, and that might change how the algorithms assess your site. So those are sort of the, the ways that I would look through. And then if you've looked through those and that really doesn't seem to apply to you, then start to ask other people, start to ask prominent SEOs, start to, you know, ping me or, or you know, ask more on the Webmaster Forum and say, look, this, you know, this is a fantastic site. We've been generating white hat content. We've been doing all original stuff. Uh, why should, you know, we were ranking really highly. What could have caused us to drop down? Also, always ask yourself, have I changed something about your site? A lot of the times people will change their site and they'll change a huge amount of stuff all at once. They'll change their URL structure, their domain. They'll do a ton of weird redirects all at once. If you can do that stuff and break it up so it's piecemeal and you do a little bit at a time, you know, like change one directory and make sure that that works okay, those sorts of things are a really great way to avoid just sort of jumping off the cliff and you don't know whether the way that you've completely re-architected your site is going to be the way that that really works well for for, uh, rankings. I have another one that's a bit, uh, it's a bit more technical. There's a, there's a bit of confusion. I don't know if confusion is a word. There's uh, some speculation, that's a better word, as to whether or not 
um, 301 redirects actually lose your, you know, your page rank, your link juice, your value ultimately, your votes from mm -hmm. other sites when you have to re-architect your site or for some reason you know, a page disappears and you can't you know, get it back or something and you have to send that page that used to rank somewhere else people feel like 301 redirects actually are something to avoid while in the past it used to be um, less so I, I guess I could say okay what are your thoughts that's a great question in fact that's a perfect question to end on I, I wish I could go <laughs> for a lot longer but um, yeah that question partially came up because uh, someone recently asked hey do 301s flow you know do they lose any juice at all and I invite you to step into a search engine's shoes for a second to play that scenario out. If 301 redirects didn't lose any page rank at all, then you could sort of try to do some weird page rank sculpting. And again, this would be a second-order effect. But instead of using links, you could use 301s. Like you could try to set up where all the juice and all the page rank and all the links and all the stuff that was coming to you was coming via 301s rather than links. And in theory, you could get you know 10% or 15% more page rank. So what we did is we made it such that 301s work great. They work, you know, as well as links, if not even better, but they still don't uh, flow up completely, you know, 100% as much of the page rank. So there's like, there is a little bit that evaporates, but less than a link, but it's not uh, something to worry about. It's like a minuscule amount. So don't avoid using 301. 3-to-1s are perfect. Permanent redirects are great. Uh, you can even chain one, two, three of them together. If you start to get up to like five redirects in a chain, that's quite a bit of redirects, and not every search engine will will follow all of those. But if you're doing just one or two or three, those sorts of things, that's that's a perfectly reasonable range. But yeah, 301s are fine. They're normal. Everybody re understands them. All major search engines respect them. Uh, someone had asked that question about do they lose page rank, and I wanted to give a very precise answer because they do lose a little bit, but not a lot. Not a lot to worry about, not a lot to not use them. They still work very, very well, better, in fact, than links. But not so well that you should, you know, go around and try to find a way to sculpt or, use, you know, do weird things using 301s rather than links. Links are great uh, for I, users. They make everything accessible, so that's the way to go forward. You know, links, and then if you migrate your site, use 301s. So would that mean that if you migrate your site, you, you'd ask your... Um the people with what you conceive to be your best links to update those links to you? I would, because, you know, anytime you can simplify things, it reduces the chance that a search engine can make a mistake. So what I would do is I would dump my backlinks. Google will provide you a list. You can also use Yahoo's Site Explorer, uh, at least for now. I don't know <laughs> whether they're going to keep it around, but uh, you can dump your backlinks. I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, you know, who knows what Bing will decide to do, whether they'll support it or not. But but Google also gives you a very comprehensive list. Look through that list, and you don't have to contact every single person. But if you got a link from Wired or, you know, a link from TechMeme or a link from the New York Times, those are the guys who you kind of want to contact and say, hey, I've moved to a new location. Would you mind updating your link? So maybe not every single person on the list, but sort of scan through it. If there's a few high page rank or really reputable sites, See if you can get them to update it, just because that would make things a lot easier for all the search engines to understand. That's a great tip. I think what we need is to get Matt back for another show, hopefully in the future, where we can ask more advanced questions and just have an advanced show. That might be a good idea. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, so I don't, don't know if I've mentioned it to many people, but I'm going to try to hike Mount Kilimanjaro in a couple weeks. So I'll be in and out of, of touch for a little while, but at some point it'd be fun to come back. Well, we'd okay. love to have you back, and we'll, we'll start scheduling soon. <laughs> um, it, it only took like four months to get this show scheduled, so in, it, it, probably in about four months we'll have you back. Um, well, I, <laughs> I appreciate your persistence and your patience. Happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we really, really appreciate it, and um, have a have a lot of fun uh, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and, and taking some some time off. Um, the good thing is we're actually taking some time off as well because we won't be here next week and the week after because I'll be in France, and uh, Frederick will uh, have some family over in his uh, beautiful city of Florence, Italy. 
So um, it, we'll be back in three weeks. Uh, we don't know with whom yet. We'll, we'll see about that. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everybody, in the chat room. And once again, thanks, Matt, for being here. It was a real pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me. Okay. Cheers, mate. Cheers, everyone. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.